today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. So many different uh, industries uh, have been impacted by the pandemic, uh, not the least of which, of course, is Canada's food supply chain, uh, which was negatively impacted. Uh, press release from the Ontario Chamber says that the governments must act now to strengthen Canada's food supply chain. There's a, a report that they've uh, done some research on. Uh, it's called Growing a More Resilient Food Supply Chain, which actually comes up with some pretty solid recommendations that we're hoping that the government is going to move on. Joining us to talk about this is uh, Rocco Rossi. Rocco, of course, President and CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce. Uh, Rocco, hope you're doing well. Thanks for joining us today. Always a pleasure to, to be talking with you, Bill. Thanks for having me. Rocco, we've always, uh, I guess, have these memories of, of what happened ever since we first uh, started with the pandemic and the uh, shutdowns and the lockouts and a, a number of other different things. And there's always been some concern about interruptions to the supply chain and, of course, the impact that's going to have on consumers. But this has gone on. We're into a third wave right now and another lockdown. There's some concerns about products getting to market and, and obviously to our tables eventually, too. Uh, what have you decide, What have you found with the, the research you guys have done on this? Well, first of all, we got to give a, a huge shout out to all of the essential workers and businesses from from the farm to the fork uh, that have kept things going. It's definitely bent, but not uh, not broken. But there are clearly some things that we can and need to be doing better. Uh, first off, we need to to recognize that agri food. Um, and that is everything from from the farm to the restaurant, grocery store, transportation, everything in between, meat packing. That represents $47 billion of GDP. It employs one in nine working Ontarians. So it is massive. It is a huge uh, engine of, of growth and a key to obviously both the economy and to feeding people. So that's that's number one. Number two, as in other sectors that we've talked about on your show before, it has made an enormous difference whether people had access to broadband and were able to pivot to direct sales, to more e-commerce, to even B2B uh, with e-commerce. So that digital divide and all policies that help to accelerate the rollout of more infrastructure on broadband is something that's going to be key for uh, this sector as well. Before the crisis hit, uh, both provincial and federal governments have been, you know, moving back from uh, the levels they were supporting uh, ag stability funds, basically farmers insurance. And bam, with the crisis hitting, farmers were hit carrying more of that load. We definitely need a rebalancing um, to to strengthen that part of the, the food chain and also to serve as a key support for continuing to recruit new people into our farming community because as, as farmers are, are retiring, um, we stand the the risk of major uh, labor shortages and major entrepreneurial shortages in that area. So in our schools, in our guidance counselors, pointing out the great careers that can be built in this area. And it's not your grandfather's farms anymore. There's a lot of technology. There's a lot of other things uh, that are part of it. So there's a reinvention process going uh, going there. We've got to stop once and for all this nonsense of the barriers between our provinces because 
you know, at a time of crisis, at a time of increasing competition around the world, we can't afford to make ourselves smaller, you know, carve ourselves up into 10 provinces and three territories. We need we need open free trade between uh, between provinces to maximize what's going on. There's so many different aspects there that I want to drill into because they're, they're so important to this. Uh, and and the, let, let me, I'll just start arbitrarily with the one about the next generation of farmers. Uh, and, and again, as we've talked about with so many other industries, Rocco, a lot of the problems that you've just outlined here existed before the pandemic, but they've been exacerbated by the pandemic. And, and the next generation is one of them. Uh, when I was just a young buck, and that's a few years ago now, uh, working through high school, I, I spent the summers working on farms because I just lived on the cusp of the city here in Hamilton, and, and we still had lots of farmland all around me, as a matter of fact. Uh, those farms are long gone. I, I mean, you know, the the, the, the the kids of those farmers, uh, for one reason or another, decided not to move on that. There's subdivisions now. There's that pressure, of course, about expansion that's going on. So that's a multifaceted problem. It's not just a matter of finding the labor. It's a matter, actually, of the physical farm and keeping those. Because as I talk to a lot of farmers over the years, they're very concerned about the fact that they say the next generation aren't really that interested in it because of all the, you know, they saw the, the challenges and, and the problems that they went through. Through, uh, the government's got to step up here and offer more assistance and make this an attractive enterprise. There's no question, and that's why I said, you know, that ag stability fund. If, if on top of everything else, uh, they have to run all of the the risks themselves uh, for their crops, for their produce, that's going to just make it uh, far less uh, less tenable. I mean, look at we we do guarantees. On, on our homes through CMHC, uh, you know, and, and that's been a key part of our economy and of, of people's lives. Well, getting food on the table is a key part of our lives as well. And we've got to make uh, that sector, uh, we've got to uh, make people understand uh, that it can be more attractive and needs to be more attractive. Well, and that, that includes, again, so many different things about pricing of products and things of this nature. And I know that that's a contentious issue, uh, especially with dairy farmers. And they're concerned about, you know, is the government going to help out? And, and to their credit, I guess the government does do that, although uh, that's been a contentious issue, I guess, when it comes to trade agreements. But th- there's got to be a, a dialogue about that, about what the, the, the people in the agricultural industry need uh, for support in situations like this. Because it's got to be awfully tough, I mean, to, to, to you know, whether it's dairy or whether whatever other facet of food you're, you're delivering here, if all of a sudden you find out that the market's fallen and the price has fallen, you've done all this work on this and you're not even going to make your money back, uh, you can understand why that next generation is saying, why do I need this sort of a headache? So the, that, that's, that's got to be part of the ongoing discussion. A hundred percent, and it's why I come back to this issue of the internal free trade. It's let's make our market as big as possible. The fact that you know you can't ship our wine from Niagara to uh, to BC or Saskatchewan without all kinds of of rules, and in some cases just can't do it at all, uh, makes no sense whatsoever, and and limits the market and therefore the opportunity for uh, for farmers here in BC and across the country. Well, yeah, I mean we keep talking about free trade, and you know vis a vis, you know, across the forty ninth parallel. Uh, but as one guy down in wine country, down in Niagara, told me a year or so ago, Rocco, he says it's cheaper for me uh, to send stuff to California than it is to BC because the the, the tariffs are less, uh, which and is how ridiculous. How insane is that? How insane yeah. is that? Right. 
So they're they're looking at U.S. markets down through New England and and and, and the southern states as opposed to Canada because he says, and they've been trying to do this for the last forty years. It's it's the provinces themselves that are that are putting these barriers up, and they've got to get over this idea of protectionism and understand that you know free trade across the country here is going to benefit everybody. We absolutely have to continue to beat that uh, drum because we're going to be coming out of this crisis indebted as governments, indebted as businesses, indebted as individuals. And there are very few things you can do to generate massive productivity increases and basically a raise for every Canadian without writing a big government check. And topping that list is internal free trade. Uh, Former governor of the Bank of Canada, Stephen Polos, uh, pointed to some research that showed it would mean an extra $2,000 a year, every year, forever in the pockets of every man, woman, and child in, in, uh, in Canada without writing um, a government check. Rocco, did, did the governments understand that, that there's an opportunity here uh, for, to, to, to actually you know, help this, uh, this industry not just survive, but to actually thrive? Because uh, there's been a change of, of attitude, I think, in, in consumers over the last number of years. Uh, you and I have talked in the past about the earth-to-table concept, about you know, buying local, uh, and, and that's a boon to, lo- to local farmers, of course. And I know a lot of re- people in the, uh, the restaurant industry have, have embraced that sort of an idea, too, as opposed to, you know, looking in, in our, our those tomatoes from Mexico or are they from you know Leamington that sort of thing uh, but that's only going to happen with government support to actually encourage people and give them the help that they need on a daily basis to, to produce those products it's both Bill I mean the fact that um, uh, domestic uh, demand and consumer demand has increased on that front is hugely helpful and that is one of the trends that we point to um, in in the report that my brilliant colleague Katrina Cromsley authored um, that that buying local, you know, it's fresher, it's more uh, nutritious, it reduces greenhouse gases because you're not shipping it further. I mean, the list goes on and on of why this is a uh, why this is a positive uh, thing, and all everything that we can do to continue to facilitate um, that and encourage that uh, is going to be a big big plus. By the way, it's also less expensive too, babe. You don't have to put it on a truck and drive across the country for it. It's it's you know, it's coming from the the neighborhood right around the corner from you in situations like that. Uh, what about the capital costs for things like this into agriculture? Are governments doing as much as they could in situation? Let's face it, as, as you mentioned, uh, this is not your grandfather's farm anymore. I mean, you know, it's computer technology. There's still equipment that needs to be purchased, maintained, things of that nature. Are, are, are the governments aware of, of the work that's going on there? I think, again, more more can be done. And I come back to uh, the size of this sector, $47 billion in GDP contribution, one in nine Ontarians. We don't blink an eye when we, we look at making major investments, including putting government money into auto plant expansions, which, you know, has been key part of, of the competitive landscape um, uh, globally to fight for uh, more auto jobs and and uh, and we need to understand that uh, that food is one of those key industries as well and that there will be need for for investments and part of it is 
again doesn't have to be uh, doesn't have to be just in in outlays. Uh, rebalancing the the um, uh, the ag uh, stability funds, the farm insurance, uh, government taking a bigger piece of that to reduce the risk for the individual farmers. That 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 in and of itself can have a huge impact. It's one of the things you know we work very closely with the beef farmers of Ontario, with the Ontario Federation of Agriculture and, and with Durham College on, on this research and on, um, on the policies, because, you know, we wanted to talk to what was really going to move the dial for, for farmers and for people along the food chain. By the way, you mentioned uh, earlier about uh, you know the, the the broadband and infrastructure. Uh, uh, when it comes to getting things to market, obviously, I think a, a companion piece to that would actually be well things like road infrastructure to make sure that those products get to some of the remote markets. Well, road and rail and and yeah. you know food insecurity. When when you know you had runs on things, the supply chain at the edges at the fringes. Uh, is the piece where it retracts the most. And we have communities in Northern Ontario that are fly-in only into some of our indigenous, um, uh, our indigenous communities. And so, you know, ensuring that we have year-round roads uh, for some of these communities is not just a lifeline, but makes a fundamental difference in the cost of everything, uh, including uh, food on their table. So you're absolutely right. Infrastructure is a key part of this road rail you know again everyone everyone wants to see great food on uh, on their table uh and sometimes then but they'll they'll resist having a an intermodal hub in their in their area because oh well it, it should be somewhere else but just keep getting the food to me uh as long as i don't then also have to participate in uh, in what i need from an infrastructure standpoint and clearly that's something that uh, that we have to move beyond uh, if if we're going to be uh, honest and 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 effective uh, for everyone. Uh, we're just about out of time, but you guys in this report, uh, Rocco, did include something else that I've heard from people in the business, uh, and I'm glad you're addressing it. And that's uh, curbing food fraud. Uh, there are lots of lots of honest players, of course, in in the agricultural industry, but there's some the interlopers. Majority, but it only yeah. takes a few bad apples. Yeah, you know, incorrect, uh, you know, incorrect labeling and things of this nature, and and and, and fraudulent labeling in situations like this. Uh, it's 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 becoming a growing problem, and I'm glad you recognized it. Well, and particularly in times of crisis, unfortunately, that that has a has a tendency to to, to bring the moles out of their holes uh, and try to uh, uh, try to sneak stuff by people, and and we have to be ever vigilant on that front. Um, you know, consumers de- deserve no less. And our great farmers and everyone who's doing things by the rules and appropriately labeling deserve no less either. Uh, kudos to, to the Ontario Chamber for putting this whole thing together. And also, by the way, as always, working in partnerships. You mentioned some of those partners, of course, the Ontario Federation of Agriculture, uh, the Beef Farmers uh, at Durham College, and, and so many others. It's a collaborative impact and a collaborative effect uh, that's having on this. And uh, I, I hope it's going to be required reading for our governments as they decide and uh, de- define exactly what their, uh, their plans are going to be for the uh, recovery that we're going here. Uh, Rocco, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for the great work that you've done on this report. And thanks for spending some time with us today always a pleasure all of the details at occ.ca uh, 
ca please uh, read it and talk to your mps and mpps about it and in the meantime stay positive and test negative my friend absolutely thanks rocco stay well rocco rossi president and ceo of the ontario chamber of commerce the bill kelly show weekdays from nine to noon on 900 chml